Welcome to the Youth Sports Safety Update podcast produced by the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program in Jacksonville, Florida. The Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program, or JSMP, is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and injury prevention. The JSMP is also the managing partner of the Florida Alliance of Sports Medicine, or FASMED, which is a statewide coalition of sports medicine physicians who are engaged in promoting the highest level of sports safety through education, awareness, and access to medical resources to keep kids safe. I'm your host, Jim Mackey, a certified athletic trainer with over 50 years of experience in a variety of sports healthcare settings. You know, Florida's climate allows us to enjoy the outdoors all year long. That's good, but can also mean we do the same thing over and over again, causing what we sometimes call overuse injuries. This happens to those involved in running and those in overhead sports. Today, we will learn from an outstanding physical therapist who sees and treats a lot of these conditions. Dr. Chris Kopp, physical therapist and doctor of physical therapy, graduated magna cum laude from the University of North Florida Physical Therapy Program and received his transitional doctor of physical therapy from Arcadia University. He is a board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist, certified orthopedic manual physical therapist, and certified in dry needling with over 25 years of experience in outpatient orthopedics. Dr. Kopp is an expert clinician in all those musculoskeletal conditions, including the spine and extremities with a background in sports medicine, and is the owner-director of Premier Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation in Jacksonville, Florida. Dr. Kopp has worked with amateur and professional athletes alike within industries, including golf, tennis, running, and auto racing. Dr. Kopp is an instructor for local physical therapy programs, as well as a postgraduate continuing education and respected speaker and clinician. He lives in Atlantic Beach with his wife and two children and enjoys the active Florida lifestyle. So please welcome today's guest, Dr. Chris Kopp. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Jim. All right. That's a good long introduction, and um, uh, it's just great to have you here today. So thank you for joining us. We're going to address a couple of topics here today, one related to overhead sports and one related to runners. In both cases, we're looking at safety and injury prevention. So, Chris, let's first address overhead sports, which includes everything from baseball, tennis, pickleball, and anything where our arm goes above our shoulder and creates velocity or stops and projects a moving object. This can result in overuse or impingement. What's this look like? What are you seeing? Well, Jim, you know, it's really, um, it's a variety of symptoms, but typically we're talking about, you know, shoulder impingement. It has to do with where the arm, you know, meets the shoulder blade. So you have a ball on top of your arm and then you have a little socket in the shoulder blade. And we call that the glenohumeral joint. And you can get impingement, which sounds like pinch. So I always tell people it's a pinch. And that pinch could be pinching structures, particularly our rotator cuff. And then there's some surrounding supportive structures. Some people may hear about uh, the labrum or slap tears and things like that, where structures get impinged and result in pain. We also have the top of the shoulder blade. Uh, we call that the acromion. And then it could be the ball kind of rubbing up against the underneath side of the, of the shoulder blade there. And so you can get an impingement there. And usually the symptoms would be pain, um, sometimes like reaching across our body. Um, there's a test that we do for that fully all the way up against, you know, reaching way over our head or reaching back behind us as if you're going to throw. And um, when that starts to become irritated, you know, it can really start to be pretty debilitating. You can have uh, some issues with sleeping on that side. But typically what happens is it's usually picking up objects or reaching 
and throwing start to be kind of painful and it kind of radiates into the kind of the deltoid upper arm area, but usually it's really localized right into the shoulder itself. Exactly. I had that when I had a uh, pickleball slam the other day, it was an overhead slam. And I said, Oh, that hurt a little bit more than it normally uh, feels like that. So uh, we've got to, we've got to watch out for those things. So uh, discussing uh, glenohumeral internal rotation deficit, some people call that GERD, G-I-R-D. What, what kind of is this in, uh, uh, particularly in pitchers, throwers, uh, overhead throwers? Yeah, it's interest. It's a kind of interesting topic. You know, we've had a variety of um, thoughts uh, behind why someone might lose um, internal rotation of their shoulder um, compared to the other side. Some, you know, initially we thought there was a, a developmental thing where you know young throwers, their their top of their their arm, their humerus was actually retroverted or rotated backwards through development. And that's why they began to develop some range of motion limitations. But then it really kind of resulted in what we thought was more micro trauma to the posterior cuff, where you get some adaptive shortening and, and some tearing and some shortening of the of the rotator cuff and the capsule that would then limit, you know, that internal rotation motion. And, and really what we do to identify that is you measure the total arc of motion of somebody. So Typically, throwing athletes of their dominant arm, pitchers, let's just say, they may have, you know, 120 degrees of external rotation, 110, 120, just a really an excessive amount of external rotation compared to their non-throwing side. And then let's say their uh, internal rotation was, you know, let's just say 110 going external to 50 going internal. And then the other side, let's say it was 100 degrees external to maybe 60 degrees internal. Well, the arc of motion is relatively the same. It's just shifted a little bit. GERD or glenohumeral interrotation deficit, the arc of motion is actually short. So it would be a situation where they would go, you know, 110 external to let's say 40 degrees internal, where the uninvolved would be still at that 100 to 60. So there would be a pretty big, you know, a, you know, 10, 20 degree rotational arc of motion deficit. And when we see that, we really want to uh, try to address that with a couple of different ways. Manual therapy is really the best way to do it. Try to get some capsular lengthening. You know, some people like to do sleeper stretches and uh, things along those lines, but you really want to try to restore that total arc of motion and symmetry. When you're having that GERD or that internal rotation deficit, particularly in a thrower, it actually really can lead to a secondary impingement problem because we have this posterior capsule tightness now and it really affects the mechanics of the ball moving within the socket. And uh, it actually creates a little uh, excessive anterior translation of the humeral head that kind of naturally occurs, but it kind of creates a little bit more because the posterior capsule is not there. It doesn't have the flexibility that it needs, and the ball kind of bounces out the front. And then you get this. That is a more of a pain in the back of the shoulder, actually, kind of in the cocking phase of throwing is where people will feel that. And then, again, gets that deceleration phasing of throwing where they get microtrauma and then scar tissue and tightness develops is kind of the cause of it. Okay. So we're, we're going to talk about prevention in just a minute, but uh, we hear the term rotator cuff, or as one of my athletes once said, he said, doc, I think I hurt my rotary cup, but, <laughs> uh, or there's labral injuries. So what are, what are these and what can we do to probably uh, reduce injury from a prevention standpoint to, play a little safer to prevent these rotator cuff and, and labral injuries. Yeah. I mean, if you're a throwing athlete, 
let's say you don't have any symptoms at all, right? So you're just fresh and clean, nothing to worry about. It's really about warming up the structures. So, you know, short toss to long toss, you'll see a lot of, a lot of teams, a lot of players, particularly professionals, are doing um, external rotation and internal rotation band work now, you know, before the, before the games. You'll see them really actually exercising the rotator cuff, your normal, you know, arm by your side or arm away from your body and working on bringing your hand backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards against resistance bands to get the, everything warmed up. We also like, you know, a lot of stretching of the pectorals, keep the flexibility going. And then really a good prevention of, of this kind of problem from happening of overstress to the glenohumeral joint and the labrum is really working on the deceleration phase of throwing. So uh, you'll see um, people who may understand what PNF patterns are, but really working on the follow through with, res with resistance so that they control, like we call it eccentrics or negatives, and really work on the deceleration forces of their arm. So it's a combination of a lot of things. Keep the rotator cuff healthy so that the ball and socket mechanics are, are, are performing the way they're supposed to with the muscles controlling those motions and forces. Keep your flexibility up so that we don't have that rounded back posture. Strengthen the muscles of your shoulder blade to help with that posture. And then really work on the deceleration of the arm um, with eccentrics. Exactly. Uh, I had one orthopedic physician tell me, uh, don't just concentrate on the mirror muscles. Those are the muscles that you see when they look in the mirror. Because with throwing athletes, you need to work a lot with the posterior uh, muscles, the scapula muscles, uh, just the trapezius and uh, different things like that. So don't just worry about what's in front. Worry about the back as well. Yep. Yep. So, There's a, you know, yep. literature out there, the thrower's 10. Some people might be familiar with that. And you know, that has, well, there's more than 10 exercises because there's like 1A and 1B and stuff. But it really is, you know, the rotator cuff, the mirror muscles that you'd like to see, um, you know, but it really has a big emphasis on the posterior muscles. So, you know, your prone Ys, Ts and Is, things on those lines where you're working that, that lower trap, the rhomboids, things in that, of that nature. Yeah. So um, last question about these overuse injuries. What, uh, what recommendations would you have for uh, avoiding these overuse things, especially in youth baseball? What are, what are you seeing? I know there's pitch counts out there, but uh, you've talked a lot about exercising and warming up too. So, Yeah, unfortunately, with youth baseball, you find an athlete, a good thrower, who can put the ball across the plate at good velocity with good accuracy, you know, they, they tend to get ridden a little bit, right? I mean, we all are out there, you know, I play sports and, you know, the goal is to try to win and, and, you know, strike people out and, and, and not walk them. Um, so unfortunately some of these, some of these kids just get overused, uh, because they're the best, they're, they're, they're the person that can do it. There's really some strong recommendations out there now on pitch counts. And I think for the most part, a lot of coaches still try to really try to pay attention to that. You know, the, the challenge we have a little bit, though, is we have some some teams and coaches and, and even some personal trainers and things are beginning to teach curveballs, um, you know, and young young throwers uh, before skeletal maturity. And that's really not recommended. So we really prefer uh, overhead throwers, pitchers to have reached a, a good level of puberty before they start really introduce these, um, you know, other motions, other throws besides just fastballs and change-ups. So you can be very effective with a fastball and change-up. So 
we truly try to encourage, you know, not to do that, but it does happen. And, you know, I understand that as a healthcare provider, just, you know, you need to understand as a parent or a coach, you know, you're potentially, you know, you got your horse that you, that's a really good thrower for you. You potentially could, you know, hurt them. And now you don't have that horse. And now they are talking about, I mean, there's, there's Tommy John surgeries going on. There's going on in, in really young players, which you know, really shouldn't really happen. Right. It's almost becoming a rite of passage to have Tommy John surgery before or during while you're in high school or college or such. But uh, we're, we're all about safety. We want to protect them. So when we talk about pitch counts, we're talking about uh, these kids that are participating in um, their regular school sport. And then they may go to a travel team and they may do showcases and all these things. So, you know, use good judgment. Uh, use the research that's out there. There's a lot of great uh, research today that uh, maybe we can put in our show notes to Help parents and just, uh, you know, you want that horse to be there for the derby later on. You don't want to use them up in the first two, three years for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, Dr. James Andrews, who's basically the guru for fixing these arm injuries, you know, has very strict guidelines and recommendations for for young athletes and and prevention of overuse injuries. I think it was called STOP, S-T-O-P.org. So, you know, here's a guy who's who's the person to go get fixed by really promoting how not to need his help for um, things that are preventable. Right. Okay. Let's shift over to the runners because here in Florida, we see all kinds we see, but in particular, we see we're in the middle of cross country season for high schools. They run a variety of distances on different types of terrain. Uh, what do we see with your common complaints and how can we reduce the chance of injury with this? Maybe with a, there's the season kid, but then there's the early, early, eighth, ninth grader that are just out there starting? Yeah, again, you know, it just depends whether the person's new to running or not. Um, too much, too fast, too soon is always the recipe for things to, t- to kind of go wrong. So it's not unusual to to have, you know, some bilateral thigh soreness or maybe some bilateral or some maybe some small little aches and pains going on that are, you know, kind of equal in symmetry in, in both legs. It's when, you know, one leg seems to be more problematic than another that becomes more and more symptomatic. Then we have a biomechanical problem going on that really needs to kind of get looked at. With runners, you know, cross country is a little bit different than track. You know, they really are trying to build and stack miles. Again, it's, you know, running every day without rest breaks in between. And usually not much cross training is involved either. That's probably the other problem that we see with that. It's just running. And there's really no strength training that goes on, uh, targeting the hips and things on that nature that really takes helps control some of the forces that are going down into the lower leg. Um, and then uh, that's really the recommendation is you got to start them slow, allow for some recovery, and then and slowly maybe add 10% a week, 20% a week as far as mileage goes. Okay. Uh, since everything starts from the ground up, uh, foot and ankle problems are very common. So what does it kind of mean to be a pronator or a supinator? And how does this relate to, say, proper shoe selection? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes pronation gets a kind of a, a bad rep. Oh, my God, I'm a pronator. And the reality is we should pronate. That's our ability to adapt to our surfaces, uneven surfaces, uneven terrain shock absorption, what have you. The problem is there's just some characteristics to somebody who calls in that falls in that category of a pronator 
um, it's really, they do early pronation. They just collapse really fast. So they don't have that normal kind of coming in with a little bit of supination and this kind of controlled pronation. And then as we advance over our foot, that we're designed to kind of create, recreate a rigid lever to push off of. So we tend to go back into supination or the arch of the foot kind of goes up. So pronation, the arch is going down. Supination, the arch is going up. And so what should happen is the arch should go down, meet the ground, absorb some forces, and then the ligaments and the foot and the mechanics should all kind of cause the foot to kind of lock back out again into a supinated position or elevated arch position. And then we really advance off our toe. And that's what normal normal mechanics would be like somebody who pronates and stays pronated doesn't really get that supination back that's a bit of an issue what happens now they just kind of stay collapsed and they really don't have that rigid lever to push off of and that just kind of puts some stresses up into like shin splints for instance plantar fasciitis and even knee pain can result from that kind of pronating early staying pronated and never really getting back in the supinated if you're a supinator Someone who has a very rigid arch, doesn't pronate much at all, they don't have shock absorption. So they need, you know, a shoe that provides shock absorption for them. You can get similar symptoms for both scenarios. Um, you still can get shin splints in somebody who doesn't pronate because now their stress is going up into their shin. And instead of the foot absorbing it, you still can have some knee issues because the foot is not um, accommodating to the ground, the knees trying to help by rolling in or the hips rolling in to try to find some pronation. So somebody who's more flat footed or arch tends to collapse, we'd like to give them a little more support to control those forces. Somebody who doesn't pronate, who doesn't have that shock absorption capability, you know, we'd like to get them in a little more of a cushion or a more neutral shoe. Okay. Very good. Any other uh, thoughts about, uh, you mentioned shin splints, uh, we iliotibial band, iliotibial band, the uh, lateral side of the thigh, um, or just uh, knee pain, patella pain people have, uh, patella being underneath the kneecap, anything that you're seeing in there, and what could people do to maybe strengthen those areas? Well, really, if you're having anything in and about the knee, Generally speaking, there's two areas you need to target to try to take some pressure off that knee. The first area to target would be to get yourself some calf flexibility. So the more ankle motion you have, particularly with your foot going up, that means when your foot's on the ground, the shin can move forward over the foot. That'll take some pressure off the knee. So tight calves can lead to plantar fasciitis, but also really can affect you know knee pain as we go into that landing phase of running because there's a put stresses across the kneecap. The other thing we find a lot of times is um, these individuals, their hip abductors, the muscles that lift their leg away from their body or away from midline, tend to be weak as well. And so when they land, uh, they don't have that stability about the hip. The pelvis kind of drops, the knee kind of goes in. And then again, you get that stress across the outside of the knee or the inside of the knee, either one of those things or, or the front of the knee. We call it anterior knee pain. So strengthening the hip the muscles that lift the leg away from the body. If you're laying on your side um, or, on, and, or you're standing up, you're just trying to you know, balance and have good control and then getting good flexibility in your calf. So that takes some pressure off your knee as well. Okay. So when you're looking at lower extremity injuries, you really want to start from the foot all the way up through the hip and the lower back, because what you're saying biomechanically, those muscles can affect the, uh, how the foot strikes the ground, how the Put how the body absorbs that uh, force and then what it does with it from there. So we don't want uh, 
shin splints turning into stress fractures. We uh, want to, like you're saying, nip things in the bud early on, uh, but start with a good pair of running shoes, not doing too much too soon, watching the load, and then progressively uh, working on it from there. So, Chris, thank you very much. You got any other uh, pearls you'd like to share with our audience today? Oh, goodness, gosh. You know, the, you know me, Jim. I got lots of pearls. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, back to running, back to running too. I would just say that, you know, you know, getting some good instruction of, of some good running form is also probably important if you're new to running. So, you know, there was some, con- I don't want to say controversy, but for a little while there, there was a little push on barefoot running and there was a book called born to run. And, and so it got a lot of, there was these Vibram shoes and I got a lot of, I got a lot of traction there for a little while. Unfortunately, you know, concrete is where we most of the time we run obviously not cross country, but just average recreational runners. That's the hardest surface on the planet. Concrete is, there's no shock absorption on concrete. When we run barefoot, where that all came from, you know, when you're running on dirt or grass or things like that, your foot can kind of sink into the ground a little bit. So there is natural shock absorption by the surface that you're in. And the other thing that we tend to find is some people, I'm a heel striker or I'm a toe runner, you know, these kind of things. And I would say that you know, getting a good running analysis done by, you know, a, an expert who can do that with some, with some slow motion video, you know, obviously like myself, but there are other individuals, you know, here in town or wherever you may be listening to this podcast, um, a little bit more than what the running shoes stores, running shoe stores are doing. I mean, I got to commend them. They're doing some video and they're, and they're trying to, you know, see what happens with the heel, but it's a very snippet of what goes on. You really need to have some people run for a little while on a treadmill and, and then look at them from see what the pelvis is doing and the foot is doing from behind and from the side. But if you tend to be this kind of heel strike runner or a person kind of reaches out and grabs the road or grabs the train and tries to pull it towards them, that can put a lot of stress on your knee too. We really like more of a slightly forward lean to your running form, um, landing with your foot landing kind of underneath your body versus out in front of your body. So it's just changing your stride position. And then, you know, people want to try to run fast and things on those lines. And, and really the way to run fast is, is two ways. You either increase your stride rate or your stride length. A lot of people try to increase their stride length by, again, reaching and grabbing the terrain or the road. It's really better to think about keeping your foot on the ground a little longer and, and pushing the road out behind you and getting your length out the back versus trying to increase your length out in front. Um, and then you get to swing your arms a little bit more to get your stride rate up. And there's some numbers, people, you know, there's some, you can do some step counts and things on those lines to see where your stride rate is. And you guys, you can look that up and there's some various recommendations. So that's really on the running, on the throwing side, on the shoulder side, same in, in both of these situations. Once you start to having some symptoms, you know, you really got to get in and get checked out. You mentioned stress fractures. You know, I had a runner, you know, I didn't he was his dad kept telling me it was shin splints i kept telling him i think it's more than shin splints we did a we tried to do a running video analysis and he could barely he could barely do it i mean he i mean he, he couldn't do it to be honest with you his pain got so bad so quickly right into the run that i had a feeling that he was more injured than hurt and lo and behold we got him a in an mri and you know he had a you know he had a stress fracture there the proximal tibia you know right at his growth plate so you know he almost didn't want to go for imaging. And so that was important. So you got to pay attention to symptoms. Like you mentioned, Jim, nip them in the bud. If your shoulder's hurting you with throwing, let's get it checked out. If you're having some leg pain, particularly on one side of the body only, and, and it hurts at the beginning of the run, it gets worse as you run, 
you know, you really got to get that checked out by a medical professional who understands how to do a, a good exam. Right. We'll just add to that uh, proper rest, recovery, uh, nutrition, add those uh, to your flexibility program, and then your, your total running program. So thank you very much, Chris. You've been a great guest and a lot of great insight there. So we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Youth Sports Safety Update. Our mission is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and injury prevention. Guests of the show are stakeholders in youth sports safety. Views and conclusions expressed in this program are those of the guests and not necessarily those of the employees, administration, or associated staff of JSMP, and does not imply an endorsement of any product, service, or opinion discussed. All material presented in this program is provided for information only and should not be construed as professional advice. Any use of this podcast without the express written consent of the JSMP or FASMED is strictly prohibited. For more information and access to important resources on youth sports safety, visit our website at jaxsmp.com. The Youth Sports Safety Update is a production of the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program. Your host and producer today is Jim Mackey. Please join us again soon, and thank you very much.